Continuing our look at Mark's Gospel, we're going to turn to page 1006 in your Pew Bibles, and we're reading from verse 35 of chapter 4. Mark 4 from verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Um, Folks, it's good good to see you. Um, I always think everybody's a bit sort of foggy on the first Sunday of the new year. We've all been off. We've been living in the mold wine or mold punch cloud for too long and everybody's just waking up and coming to. Um, I've had a, a good break which has been lovely. I did a wee bit of work on Wednesday and Friday but other than that have tried to be off for a good spell so I'm with you in the sort of slightly foggy uh, warming up getting, getting going kind of a, a phase. Tomorrow's going to come with a bit of a bang New Year, definitely most people are back to work. Although our kids aren't back to school, some of them till Wednesday. What date is that? Like it's like nearly February and they they still aren't back at school. So um, the new year, we're about to, we are entering into it. If you've been with us this Christmas season at Kirkpatrick, you'll know that we have talked uh, at at various Christmas services and carol service about the coming of the King Uh, Christmas is a time that people love uh, in the culture. Even people who don't love church love Christmas. Um, There's something I think, uh, I've tried to work this out, there's something about Jesus in a manger that's that's just great. Um, You know, God, who's a baby over there in the corner, we get to look after him. I mean, who wouldn't want a, a loving coming to be with you, God, who you get to be in charge of and look after? The problem some people have with Jesus is when he grows up and he comes out of the manger and he becomes an adult, a a person who confronts us with his own reality and confronts our reality. And of course, that's the Jesus you read about mostly and the, the Jesus that we're getting to know as we study Mark's gospel. So just, just that word of just flagging that up for you. We're talking about the same Jesus that we talked about at Christmas time, but it'll feel a little bit different. Uh, look for the continuities and the discontinuities of what, what's been going on the last few weeks with where we are now. We're in a series, as Monty's just said and read, from Mark's Gospel. We call it King's Cross. It's going to run here from, from now through mostly till Easter time. Sometimes it helps you to know the geography of a part of uh, 
the Holy Land where an incident in the Bible takes place. And that's definitely true of this story that, that we've read today. Some stuff that I didn't know until I, I was researching this and reading about it. So the Sea of Galilee, 700 feet below sea level. Okay. And just 30 miles to the north of Galilee, in the, in the north of, of Israel, is Mount Hermon. I didn't know this that they had not only mountains, but very high mountains. 9,200 feet, 9,200 feet above sea level. So for th in 30 miles, you come down from nearly 10,000 feet to below sea level. And it's, it's this phenomenon, it's the, the cold air that pours down from Mount, the Mount Hermon region that meets the warm, damp air from the Sea of Galilee, it's when these two meet that you get a bit of uh, pyrotechnics. You get thunderstorms always and often on the Sea of Galilee. The, the fishermen that we read about in the story, Jesus' friends, they must have been used to this, must have been used to these violent thunderstorms. So this must have been an extraordinary one because you get this sense that they're, they're terrified. These experienced boatmen think they're going to die. Verse 38, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So it's an awful situation, terrible storm. And we're going to look at this passage for a few moments. If you're somebody who doesn't normally do this, I'd encourage you, open the passage uh, before you. It'll just be easier to, to follow what I'm talking about. Page 1006. Um, it's a familiar story, but um, I think it, it holds a few uh, surprises for us. We're going to notice three things in this story. Jesus' power, our fear, and then thirdly, why we can trust him. So Jesus' power. He's asleep in the boat, and the disciples wake up screaming. How does Jesus respond? Verse 39. Mark tells us, got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. It's amazing, he didn't, he didn't do anything more than that. Didn't sort of brace himself and say, right guys, get in position, I'm going to do something here. Didn't pull out a wand like Harry Potter and use a spell. He just speaks to a hurricane. The way you might speak to a troubling child. So it's, it's, it's weird and it's amazing what Jesus does. He, he speaks to a hurricane, to a storm, but it's even weirder what happens next because the storm listens. Does what it's told. And it's not just that the wind stops, you know, sometimes that could happen. It's always good fun to... to pronounce something or imagine something happening at just the right time when you know what's going to happen. It's like when you're driving towards a red light from a distance and you're thinking, turn green, turn green, turn green, and then it turns green and you just feel your superpowers are, are grow. You know, that's just coincidence, that's timing. But what happened here, was, was Jesus just saying, peace be still at the moment when, when the calm comes? No, we're told that it it's an immediate dead cam. That's what the text translates as. Anybody who knows anything about lakes and oceans will tell you that when the weather calms, it takes sometimes up to hours 
for the water surface to come. If it's been a troubled water, it doesn't immediately go to dead chem. So we have this sense that there's something happening here that's not normal. This isn't just a coincidence of timing. One other thing that might help us here. In ancient cultures, in ways that we don't, uh, the sea or big lakes were regarded as things to be feared. They were... They were symbols of unstoppable destruction, uncontrollable. The only people who could control the seas were, were the gods. Do, do you remember the story of King Canute? I think I did King Canute in history in first or second year. So he's an 11th century Danish king. Turns out the story's a bit different than I remember. His courtiers were flattering him. They were going on and on and on about how great he was, as if he was some sort of a god. So he said, who do you think I am? Do you, do you think I'm some sort of a god? And he walks down to the ocean shore and he commands the ocean to stop and the ocean does guess what? It keeps coming in and soaks him as it would if you or I went down to the shores of Belfast Loch and tried to stop the tide or still the waves. To be fair to Canute, he was only making the point, only God can stop the sea. I can't because I'm not God. So Jesus Christ in our passage makes the other point. He says, we all know that only God can stop the sea, this powerful force, but I can stop the sea. And that's because I am God. If, if you were with us before Easter, just before we got into that sort of carol service season, we'd have a look at a few of these passages from Mark's gospel. If you try to hold some of those in your mind and let something accumulate, you'll see that what Mark's doing is that he's adding layer after layer to a story of Jesus. A richer and a richer picture of Jesus' identity is emerging. He's got power to calm a sea. We've seen that today. But do you remember, he can preach like nobody else. He can heal every disease. He's power to forgive sins. I, I think all of this stuff's accumulating for the disciples when they ask in verse 41, who is this? After all the stuff we've seen these last weeks and months, now this, who is this? And by the way, I would love it if each person here paused and was sure about their answer to that question. The Jesus question. The who is he question. You've got to resolve that in your mind one way or another. We've talked about Jesus' power. Let's think for a moment about our fear. Notice how the disciples respond to what's happened. It's, it's funny, really. Before Jesus calms the storm, they're terrified, uh, or they're afraid. After he calms the storm, verse 41, they're terrified. It's like, it's like it got worse. We'll need to think about that for a second. First of all, the, the fear that they had before the storm 
Verse 37, we're told about this storm. It's swamping the boat. They're bailing out water as fast as they can. Still, the boat's getting lower and lower in the waves. They know they're going to die, and it's only seconds away. I don't know if you've had that experience. Um, none of us have known we're going to die, because if you knew we're going to die and you did, you, you know, we wouldn't be talking. But have you ever thought you might traveling and something dangerous happens or it's terrifying so these guys wake Jesus don't you care that we're going to drown I want to pause there for a second and ask you if you've been walking with Jesus for anything more than the shortest period of time you'll know what this feels like, what the disciples are experiencing. Everything seems to be going wrong. You're sinking. And God, well, he's either, he either doesn't know or, or he doesn't care or he's, he's asleep on the job. He, he's just letting it pass him by. If you loved us, the disciples are saying to Jesus, you wouldn't let us go through this. If you loved us, we wouldn't be about to drown. If you loved us, you wouldn't allow us to endure this kind of terrible peril. It's interesting. It seems that the disciples see that Jesus has power. Otherwise, they wouldn't be waking him, thinking he has some sort of answer to their problem. Their question is more about whether he cares. Notice what Jesus says. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He doesn't answer their question. Not directly. And the reason is that their premise is wrong. I think what Jesus is saying, of course I care. Of course I care if you drown. But who says that this storm is a sign that I don't care? You should know better. I do allow people whom I love to go through storms. But you don't need to panic if I'm with you. There's a wee song that came to me this week. I don't know if any of you sang it when you were a kid. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. Anyone? Yeah. It's true, actually. We were thinking here about the disciples' fear. They were afraid before the storm, but they're terrified after it. Why, why are they terrified after they've just come through a storm where they thought they were fearing for their life? Here's why. This storm, they knew, was something they couldn't control. It had immense power, but they knew they couldn't control it. Now they see that they're sitting side to side and keeping company with somebody who has greater power. And they certainly can't control him. This is back to where I started about why we like Jesus in a manger and not grown-up Jesus. Tell me this. Are you afraid of Jesus Christ yet? You should be. In the right kind of a way. 
It's like C.S. Lewis put it so memorably in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He has his characters talking about Aslan, the Lion King. Is he safe? One asks. Of course he's not safe. Who said anything about being safe? But he's good. He's the king. We've talked about Jesus' power. We've talked about our fear. I want to close a few moments talking about why we can trust him. There's a resource available to us that allows us to stay calm in any storm that rages outside us. There's a clue in how Mark's written this story. He's written it in a way that either deliberately or by the Holy Spirit's coincidence, it parallels a really famous Old Testament story. If you were in Sunday school at all, you'll probably know the story I'm talking about. Jonah, all right? There's a moment in the Jonah story. Do you remember at the start of the story, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, runs away, gets on a ship. What happens? There, Jesus and Jonah, both on a ship. Both boats get caught up in a storm. And actually, if you flick back, the descriptions of the storms bear a lot of similarities. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep on these boats. And in both stories, the sailors or the fellow passengers wake them up and say, aren't you afraid that we're about to die? And in both cases, there's a miraculous divine intervention that takes the storm and calms it. And actually, the bit about the disciples being more afraid after the storm than they were before it, that's in the Jonah story too. So it's this story which is, is written in almost complete parallel, these two almost identical stories, just one difference. In the middle of the storm, Jonah says to the sailors, throw me in. If I die, you live. If you sacrifice me, you walk free. And that doesn't happen in this story in Mark's gospel. Or does it? It doesn't happen in that moment on that day on Lake Galilee, but maybe Mark's inviting us to zoom out now and to have the whole of the Jesus story that he's telling us before us. You see, in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus one day said, one greater than Jonah is here. He was talking about himself and he's saying, I'm the true Jonah. I'm the one who's going to calm all the storms. I'm going to still all the waves. I'm going to destroy destruction. I'm going to break brokenness. I'm going to kill death. But how can he do that? He can do it only by doing what Jonah did and more. You see, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he walked into the ultimate storm. He went under the waves of sin and of death. Actually, Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can finally ruin a human being. I don't know if you know what that is. 
The only storm that can finally ruin a human being is the wrath of God's anger on our sin. And that storm wasn't calmed that day when he walked into it. Not until it had swept him away. Folks, are you starting to see who this is? Are you starting to understand Jesus? He bowed his head into the storm as he hung on the cross for us. We can't say anymore, God, don't you care, like these disciples. He, he didn't abandon them in that ultimate storm. What, what makes us think that he's going to abandon us in any of the storms, the smaller storms that we face today or will face this year? Someday he's going to come and he's going to calm all these storms forever. Folks, I want to close by inviting you to think about what, what this might mean for you. Thinking about that would be interesting. But it might still fall short of, of you connecting with this story. Actually, what I want to do is invite you to stand alongside these disciples who've just seen the power of Jesus displayed and to hear his, the question he asks them, verse 40 at the end of our passage. He asks them who've just seen him display his power, do you still have no faith? Just while you're thinking about how much or how little faith in Jesus you think you have, let me explain something. The, the text there that's translated, where is your faith? Or sorry, that's, that says, do you still have no faith? Could be translated, where is your faith? So what if the question is not about the amount of faith you have and more about where you're placing it? That would change things. Tim Keller, talking about this passage, he asks us to imagine that you're falling off a cliff. All right? Are you falling yet? You don't look like you're falling. Everybody looks pretty relaxed. You're falling off a cliff. Imagine you're falling off a cliff. And on your way down, you see a branch. And you don't know how strong this branch is. And as you fall, you have just enough time to grab a hold of that branch. How much faith do you need to have in that branch for that branch to save you? Do you have to be absolutely certain of its strength for it to do its work and to, to prevent you plunging to your death? No, of course not. You only need enough faith to grab. And then it starts to do its work. It holds you up and bears you to life. Folks, we are never, ever saved by the strength of our faith but we're always saved by the strength of the one whom we hold on to. Folks, we're heading into a new year. I think it'll probably throw up some storms if it's like any other year that's gone before for me and for you. And so I ask you, where is your faith?
and to point you to Jesus Christ and say, put it in him.